Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Ida Rodriguez. Welcome to another episode of Truth Serum. Thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you for supporting, for sharing, and for being a part of this interactive experience where we take on the issues of today from the perspectives of people who you don't see in the mainstream media. Um, I just want to say uh, I am in awe of how you guys have shown up and, and you continue to show up. And in essence, you're not showing up for me, but showing up for yourselves because you know that what's happening in this government is a fuckery that is really trickling down and affecting those of us on the ground who have to get up and work every day. So thank you for that. Thank you for showing up for yourselves and each other. Today we have um, a great show. Um, John Iridola, uh, I want to say Ialorola because I want to say his name in Spanish. <laughs> And Julissa Arce Raya are joining me, and uh, we're going to be talking to you about uh, the what's on the ballot, about voting, about showing up for yourselves, and not buying into the propaganda that voting is not important and it doesn't matter, and more importantly, that it doesn't affect you, um, because if it didn't, they wouldn't try so hard to keep us from doing it. So how are you doing? How are you doing, John? Uh, good, good. Just got off of uh, finishing up my show and um, excited to do this. I've been sort of putting off doing my final research on the ballot initiative. So I'm really glad that you, you said we were going to be talking about that today because now I feel much better uh, equipped for when I vote. Oh, I appreciate it. And Jalisa was talking about this also. Uh, she, she was like, I need, I'm, I'm, I need to find out more about this one pop. And I was like, actually people who are reading and finding out about <laughs> what they're voting about, because I think we get so focused on the presidential mm -hmm. that we, we forsake the things that really affect our everyday lives. How are you, Julissa? You're in Mexico, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, uh, I'm in Mexico, uh, pretty much until the election and, uh, I voted early, so I've already, submitted my ballot. Uh, I wanted to make sure I, I, I got to do that. But uh, it's interesting being in Mexico and sort of hearing what people here think about what's happening in the US. So that's been um, in some ways like enlightening just how well informed everyone is here about what's happening in the US where I feel like in the US we only know about what's happening in the US and not what's happening around the world. And then also kind of scary because uh, some of those like QAnon conspiracy theories that are targeting Latinos in the US. Like I have a few over here who was all telling me about, about them and like he believes some of this stuff. So I had to like, you know, set the record straight about some of the things, but it's, it's kind of just crazy how, um, how far those conspiracy theories have traveled. Well, I think one of the funniest conspiracy theories that we are hearing right now, um, and I, I wouldn't even call it a conspiracy theory, one of the greatest lies is that Donald Trump loves black people and, <laughs> has, done, um, and has done more for black people than any other president. Um, I want to start with this clip because I think that we've heard it all. We've heard all the absurdities. We've heard all the ridiculousness, all of the things. Um, but I don't know why this hit me, but it hit me in a way that was different uh, when he said, uh, when, he, when they asked him about Black Lives Matter. 
Yeah. We're going to continue Boy, on the issue of race. Mr. President, you've described one. the Black Lives Matter movement as a symbol of hate. You've shared a video of a man chanting white power to millions of your supporters. You've said that black professional athletes exercising their First Amendment rights should be fired. What do you say to Americans who say that kind of language from a president is contributing to a climate of hate and racial strife? Well, you have to understand, the first time I ever heard of Black Lives Matter, they were chanting pigs in a blanket, talking about police. Pigs, pigs, talking about our police. Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. I said, that's a horrible thing. And they were marching down the street. And that was my first uh, glimpse of Black Lives Matter. I thought it was a terrible thing. As far as uh, my relationships with all people, I think I have great relationships with all people. I am the least racist person in this room. Well, what do you say to Americans who are concerned by that rhetoric? I, I don't know. The, I mean, I don't videos. know what to say. I got criminal justice reform done and prison reform and opportunity zones. I took care of black colleges and universities. I don't know what to say. They can say anything. I mean, they can say anything. It's a very it makes me sad because I am I, I am the least racist person. I can't even see the audience because it's so dark. But I don't care who's in the audience. I'm the least racist person in this room. Okay, Vice President Biden, Abraham, let me ask you very quickly, and then I have a follow-up question for you. Please. Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. He pours fuel on every single racist fire, every single one. He started off his campaign coming down the escalator saying he's going to get rid of those Mexican rapists. He's banned Muslims because they're Muslims. He so I saw John, I saw you chuckle. And I mean, we all laugh because we live in a world where we uh, actually know the stories of the people that are not being told in mainstream me media. And we get an opportunity to visit with worlds that some people would not ever dare to share. So whether you are a white man, John, um, a Mexican woman, Julissa, me being a Puerto Rican woman, We've all been, um, it, we've all witnessed some of the toxic comments and actions that this administration has employed towards people of color and black people. So I, I want to go to you both. And um, before we get into these propositions, because I want to make sure that we tackle some of these for the people today, I really want to know what you think about this, because there are some people who are actually rolling with this rhetoric. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I look, obviously it was an insane deranged thing to say. Um, as you pointed out, I mean, we, we could go through any number of different things that the Trump administration has done that have been inherently explicitly racist, designed from the ground up from their inception to be cruel towards non-white individuals, whether domestically, migrants, all of that. Um, the way that he talks about these groups from his first day on the campaign trail back in the 2016 election was inherently designed to appeal to racists. And he was still, even in the videos you're showing, continuing to try to convince people to despise and fear and question and be suspicious of black Americans with his nonsense about that chant that he once heard three years ago from one state chapter of BLM. That's his answer, by the way, anytime he's asked about BLM, mm -hmm. that exact same anecdote. Um, and he's, he's flabbergasted about why some black individuals still don't support him. I, I have a radical idea for how we could find out. He could actually speak to them. 
He could ask them. He could try to pay attention to why we've had these nationwide protests month after month after month after month. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's something that they actually want that the president of the United States could give to them. But he clearly has no interest in actually finding out what that is. Yeah. I mean, I think like when you start from having to say I'm the least racist person ever, like someone who isn't racist never, ever has to say that line ever. First of all, secondly, you know, Donald Trump, you have to look at his record, not just in the last three years that he's been in his press in the presidency, which have been disastrous for black Americans and for people of color. Uh, but you also have to see the things that he did before that. Right. I mean, he was the person who took out a an entire page ad in the New York Times calling for the death penalty for five teenagers, uh, uh, black and Latino teenagers uh, with the Central Park Five, which of course we know they, they were exonerated, but he was calling for the death penalty for them. He has been sued time and time again for housing discrimination in his real estate business. And so it's not, is it, so this, this, um, this dislike of Donald Trump and his racism hasn't just been the last four years. It has been his entire, his entire life. And, and, and so he is a racist person. His policies are racist and not just uh, like John was saying domestically, right. With what's happening with black Americans in the United States, but it wasn't that long ago that he called uh, Haiti and uh, Nigeria and other African countries, quote, shithold countries. And so his racism for black people isn't just black people who live in America, it's for black people around the world. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, and so the, the problem is right now is the scapegoating that Democrats have been no better because Democrats also have a history of racism. But I, I don't think that the problem is when we talk about the Democrats versus the Republicans, I don't think the Democrats are appealing to the KKK and these hate groups who are, you know, loading up, trying to fucking kidnap governors and do, and, and nobody is saying that, um, you know, I see a comment, Ty Rivera, comedian, that the media was against the Central Park Five Yes, of course. We Nobody is saying that the media here is any better. But what we're discussing is that Donald Trump has used a lot of rhetoric and, and a lot of people who idolize Donald Trump because he has these, you know, a lot of machistas, self-hating minorities. Those of us who know people who know him know that he does not associate with people who he sees to be beneath him. And he's an elitist and his group is made up of white, rich people who look and sound just like him. So this whole idea that he is not racist is malarkey. And I'm not, that doesn't mean that what I'm saying <laughs> that I don't think Joe Biden has employed racist policies towards black Americans in this country, but I just need, we need to stop scapegoating and stop saying, but the Democrats, when the, the Donald Trump is the current president of the United States and conditions have not gotten better for people of color, black people in this country, unless they're rich. So I, I, I wanted- and, and also, can I just say like, what is the point of saying that? Like, what is the point of saying the media was also against Central Park Five? Like, what is the point of that? Because yes, that was true, but that's not what we're talking about. And that's actually something Donald Trump does a lot and did it again in the debate last night, where it's like, you ask him a question about something 
and about his own record. And then he brings up some other things that have nothing to do with the topic. And so I just want to be like, because when I, when I see comments like that, I get really annoyed because I just think, okay, so what? what is the point of that? Like, is there another sentence that is coming after that? Because otherwise it's just, uh, you're, you're just trying to have a hot take and say something else that someone isn't saying. But what we're talking about here is not the media. We do that a lot in other forums. And Ida, you do that a lot as well. We're not talking about that. Right now we're talking about Donald Trump and his record, his record of uh, being so, uh, being a racist, not only in the last four years of him being president, but his entire life. And that record, uh, and that record shows that he is a racist, particularly against uh, Black Americans and particularly against immigrants. Yeah, you know, people will say, well, you know, that was the time and that what was happening in the time. And that's not a good reason. And I, I disagree with that. And when people pull up, if you're going to say that, then you have to say, then don't bring up Joe's crime bill. Because America and his institutions have been racist towards Black people and people of color for generations. So right. you cannot tell me that. Um, if that's the case, if that's your argument, then don't bring up the crime bill. Because if you bring up the crime bill, you got to bring up slavery. You got to bring up Jim Crow. You know, it's just like we can't we can't have it both ways. And I am not in any way. John and I, you know, we we cringe when we have to support the people that we have to support. Right. Because we are we're we are really making a choice between two evils. But to say that Donald Trump is a good politician and has been good for the country and been knowledgeable and informed as a president is the bullshit that I'm talking about. That whether you like Joe Biden or, or Kamala or any Bernie or any, Donald Trump doesn't belong in that circle because he is not a politician. He is a... Uh, he, he had people taking this test in schools, allegedly. He didn't want to go to serve in the military. So that is the problem is like everybody, I'm sure there are a bunch of people, there's probably a golfer who can be as dynamic as Donald Trump. He does not belong in public office. And we have to get back to being honest about the fact that he has no business in, an, in any administration. He belongs with wealthy people messing up businesses and experimenting with his wealth because he can afford to do that. But what he cannot afford to do is play with the American people because they are suffering. Sorry, this pissed me off. All right. So this uh, November 3rd, voters in 32 states will decide on 120 state white ballot measures. In addition, there are also three measures on the ballot in the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, Puerto Ricans will vote for, sta in, for the statehood referendum. And I wanted to ask you both what you thought about that, because in this country, a lot of people People told me when Donald Trump got elected, they tweeted me that I was going to get deported and go back home because they didn't know that Puerto Rico is uh, an American. I call it a colony. Y'all can call it whatever y'all want. And uh, I just wanted to ask you what you guys thought about and what is your 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 opinion on Puerto Rico becoming a state? Um, Julissa. Yeah, so I did this whole um, like one hour conversation uh, with Ed Morales, who wrote the book Fantasy Island uh, about Puerto Rico and uh, the colonialism state of the of the island. And one thing that was really interesting to me 
um, that I didn't know before was that I used to be really on the camp of Puerto Rico should be a state. Puerto Rico should be a state because uh, that way, you know, people would get half-assed Medicare, wouldn't get half-assed welfare, access to welfare systems, uh, which is what's happening now because they're not a state. And I used to think that that was like the most progressive thing that could happen to Puerto Rico. But after speaking with Ed, one thing that I realized is that there's actually a lot of Puerto Ricans on the island who don't want to be a state. Who, uh, who very much would like to be an independent nation. Um, and Ed argues that if you are going to have Puerto Rico be an independent country, then they need to get reparations for all the many years that they have been a colony of the United States. So I'm a little bit torn about it. And, you know, ultimately, I, I'm not Puerto Rican. I don't live in Puerto Rico. And so I have a hard time sort of saying one way or the other um, because I feel like, I can't speak for how Puerto Ricans feel about it, but the only thing that I can say is that I used to think that Puerto Rico being a state was sort of like the most progressive thing for the island. And it turns out that that many Puerto Ricans, a lot of Puerto Ricans who do live in Puerto Rico don't necessarily want that, which is why other times that measure has failed. And it also fails, has failed in the past because of the way that it's worded. Um, depending on how they worded it in this specific election, it might have different results, but the wording matters a lot. Yeah. John? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that I think the situations be between D.C. and Puerto Rico are very different. I think the D.C. 100 percent should be a state. I think that Puerto Rico should be a state if they want to be a state, basically. Um, and it should be up to them. And I would say that um, maybe even more importantly, regardless of whether they stay in their current status or become a state or become an independent nation or whatever, um, they need to be treated much better by the United States, acknowledged as you know a part of us. And we need to acknowledge the ways that, as Julissa pointed out, um, they've been abused historically and even incredibly recently. Like they were what was done, you know, three years ago was so utterly horrendous. The fact that the American media moved on from it so quickly and seems to forget how left to fend for themselves to suffer and die uh, the Puerto people of Puerto Rico were, um, you know, back in 2017 is absolutely horrendous. Um, I don't know if it's if it's reparations or if it's what, but there we have effectively left them out to be preyed upon by capitalist vultures in all different areas. Um, and they need to be treated uh, much better than that. And I would also say that uh, the, the flip side of uh, it should totally be up to them whether they become a state or not is uh, what I do hate is the knee-jerk Republican, they can never under any circumstances become a state stance that is entirely based upon a belief that if they were to become a state and get senators, those senators would become Democrats. It is um, anti-democratic, that stance. And it's also incredibly revealing about their belief that, well, obviously we have nothing to offer to the people of Puerto Rico. They'd never vote for us. I would say maybe hypothetically, if they want to become a state, try to offer something legislatively that would make the people of Puerto Rico supportive of your party. I agree. And, and I think people uh, don't understand that Puerto Rico has been colonized twice. It was colonized by Spain and then by the United States. So um, when people uh, talk about slavery and um, and when you talk about the Virgin Islands as well, I mean, there there are there when it comes to the Caribbean, there are so many guilty parties in terms of colonization and monies owed from you know Haiti, from France and Britain and the Dutch and Spain. So when we talk about these places um, and and it, Puerto Rico being in the economic crisis that it's in by way of 
America's colonization of it, it has a lot to do with why the, the island hasn't been able to stand on its own. And it's not that it can't stand on its own, it's that it's never been able to stand on its own because America's always had its foot on, on Puerto Rico's neck. Um, I wanna move on to some LA County issues. Um, I think that it is important that we talk about these because a lot of people have been asking, um, been sending messages because they do have to vote. Um, and and the next show on the next show, what I'm going to do is talk about some of the um, the things that people have sent from other places that are still voting. Uh, but we needed to get some research done before we talked about those things. But we we're talking about the D.A. race in Los Angeles. Um, and I think it's very important that this race is such an important race for every state. So, mind you, may, maybe uh, just because we're talking about Los Angeles County, Please understand that no matter where you are in the country, the district attorney has so much to do with uh, impacting communities of color. Um, they, they, are, they make these decisions that affect us. They are the ones who make the decisions when these officers kill us and um, without <laughs> consequences, they make the decisions about get, who goes to jail for killing us because we like to focus on district attorneys when when we're talking about um, crime, you know, really nailing down crime in our communities. But we don't uh, really understand how it affects when the crimes are committed against us. And it is important that you pay attention to who these people are and who they're supporting um, in the White House as well. So in the Los Angeles district attorney um, race, we have uh, Jackie Lacey versus San Francisco DA George Gascon. Uh, why Los Angeles County with the nation's largest jail system and largest prosecutor office is considered a crown jewel in a nationwide push to elect progressive prosecutors. Law enforcement groups have contributed at least $5 million to defeat Gascon centers his bid on reducing the criminalization of lower level behaviors tied to mental health, homelessness, or substance abuse. Neither candidate has specifically endorsed slashing budgets uh, or defunding the police. So uh, I wanted you both to talk about this because I think it's important that we understand how important the DA is in our community. Uh, yeah, I, I think 100%. I think that one of the one of the best things to develop over the past year or two is is uh, an increasing acknowledgement of that nationwide. And um, you know, in the 2020 election, people are paying much more attention to these races. We saw that in 2018 as well. And thankfully, now we've had a couple of years um, to see some of the results that we've gotten with uh, more progressive DAs in a number of cities. Um, you know, they're up against monumental opposition from um, police departments, the police union, and things like that. But but in some areas, like in bail reform and things like that, we've already seen good results in, in other parts of the country. So uh, hopefully people are paying attention to it here. Um, Jackie Lacey has been involved in uh, tight elections in the past. For me, um, a, a, as we'll get into this when we start talking about the ballot initiatives, I almost always start by looking at who is funding who. And it's just so clear in this case that Jackie Lacey is getting her money effectively from the police and those who represent the police's interests. And in 2020, especially of all years, that says so much about who they think is going to be willing to uh, push for reform and who's going to protect their interests. 
In this case, it might be true that you're not having such a massive difference between the two as you have in some other uh, DA races where you have a really entrenched protector of the police unions versus some like maverick progressive. Um, But clearly there's one opportunity for at least a bit of reform and then someone who's going to sort of represent the old guard and, and hold the line against anything even approaching defunding the police. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to, to back up for one second about like why this conversation is like important, not just with the DA's uh, race, which I agree with everything John has said on that. Uh, but this is one of the most important reasons to go vote. Right. Because I think a lot of times when uh, people say my vote doesn't count, who cares? I'm not going to vote like we're not only uh, saying we're not going to vote in the presidential election. we're actually reducing voter turnout for all of these other races where literally dozens of votes can make a big difference in who wins elections or whether different propositions pass. So I think it's important. It's just an important reminder um, of why we should continue to encourage people to vote, even if they feel like the presidential election is something they're disillusioned with and something they don't want to vote for. You know, you should still vote, I think. Um, but even if you don't want to vote for president, you should go vote to go vote on all of these other really important measures, really important positions that affect our our everyday life. And so in terms of Jackie Lacey, you know, Jackie Lacey must go. An echo of the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles protests that I've gone to. It's every Wednesday in front of her office. And she has been a complete disaster for communities of color in Los Angeles. I, um, you know, I voted for Gascon. I don't know. Um, he doesn't have the most perfect record either. But I do think it's an improvement and, and we'll have to continue to hold him accountable. Yeah, I see people saying that is their right not to vote. It is, but then you are also then don't complain <laughs> because if you're not doing every and anything you do to to participate in what's happening, then just standing from a corner and not doing anything to improve the condition of our people in this country, then you're just another you know voice in the echo chamber. So I want to talk about Measure J. The Measure J would allocate ten percent of LA's unrestricted unrestricted general funds around 300 million towards alternatives to incarceration and community investment. It would bar that money from be, money from being funneled toward law enforcement. Gascon has endorsed this measure. Lacey has called it a rash response to an issue that requires more study and courageous budgeting. So uh, I think um, it is important to understand that when we talk about defunding the police, which a lot of people have hijacked to meaning eradicate the police or, you know, um, we are talking about the fact that redirecting police for to get trained better um, and also to do the, the business of police and not mental health experts, not being yeah. called out to deal with people who are battling with autism and end up in a hospital or dead. Um, you know, some of these people who are having severe mental crises, police officers coming out who are not equipped. They're not also not equipped to deal with your health issues. And when you get shot, they can't even provide you with what you need. And until and a lot of people die because, you know, the, the, the NTs and, the, and the, the professionals, the health professionals don't get there on time. Um, so. When we talk about Measure J, that's what we're talking about and what what you should vote. Um, I wanted to see if either of you wanted to, uh, you know, chime in on that, because I think that sometimes you articulate better than. 
I mean, I think um, for me, this one's easy. You know, it's like there, there isn't too much of a debate for me as to like how we should be voting on it. We, I mean, I, I voted yes. I think people should vote yes. Um, Jacob, yeah. oh, go ahead, go ahead, John. R really fast. I think it's a great demonstration of what the goals of people who are saying things like defund the police actually are. Um, rather than the demonization of that position that a lot of people have gotten from right-wing media. And I, and I think that if you really, like this is one of the areas also where you probably have a massive difference between what individual police officers think and what, you know, the elected political representatives of the police officers think, where most cops probably have no interest in doing the sorts of things that they're forced to do around the country, that they're not trained for, that they don't produce good outcomes for. They're supposed to do police stuff, but instead... They have to fill in for so many people who are much better equipped, much better, much better trained and educated. Um, it just makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Tanya, I do want you to know that I think that that is important for people to know that black and brown trans women are still getting killed by police and by black and brown cisgender straight guys. And I think that, you know, being having the right people in place um, who care about human beings is important. And that's why we talk about these things, because nobody is. Uh, eliminating trans people from the conversation. So I see you. And when someone asks if I'm encouraging people to vote the way that I vote, um, Jacob's trouble, I am encouraging people to use their right to vote. And and everyone is not going to agree on everything. I, I tend, I lean more progressive with policies and some people can be a little bit more conservative, but I think that it is, you know, it is our duty, our responsibility as American citizens to utilize our our right to vote. A lot of people were not able to vote because it was illegal for them or they were harassed into not voting and they were beaten. And a lot of things happened so that people could not vote. For people like me, it is important for me to show up for them. So I am not here to tell you who you need to vote for. What I'm saying is that people should use their right to vote. And if you care about the, the communities of color and black people in this country, then you should take a look at not just who you're voting for, but what you're voting for and how it impacts those communities. Whether you're black, brown or white and call yourself an ally, you should also care about this um, if you call yourself an ally. So the District 2 seat on the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, Herb Wesson Jr., the longtime president of the L.A. County City Council versus Holly Mitchell, a progressive mainstay of the California State Senate. Uh, District 2 is home to Black and Latinx communities, the seat representing around 2 million constituents um, apiece and overseeing an overgrowing $36.8 billion budget for a county government apparatus that includes health and human services, parks and recreation, public works and law enforcement, the DA's probation department and the LA County Sheriff's Department. So this is also a very important um, vote because in the case of Andres Guardado, who was shot by a sheriff um, in, this, uh, in, in Los Angeles, where the, the rules between the sheriffs and, and LAPD are different. You, the body cams uh, procedures are very different. We need to really care who's overseeing um, this department along with all the other stuff that we talked about, but you need to know who is using and budgeting and appropriating the funds that affect your communities. And that is why it is important to vote for these people. Um, I, I, I would love to hear from you both. So. 
Yeah, this isn't like a race that I, I necessarily knew a ton about or was following. But, um, you know, based on her voting record, it's it's pretty solidly progressive. Again, you can follow, um, you know, who's actually funding these campaigns. You know, as you were pointing out, the the, the police unions have definitely uh, weighed in. Um, so, yeah, it's not something that I've been super personally invested in. But that doesn't mean that it's not important, as we've been saying throughout this. It does have a, a very strong impact on the day to day lives of millions of people in this case. Yeah, the LA Sheriff's Department really affects our communities and that these particular community, this particular community district too, that is uh, predominantly black and Latin. Uh, we have a very, you know, we have this turbulent ride that we've been on with law enforcement because law enforcement was designed, you know, to track us and kill us, eliminate us, incarcerate us. So I think it's very important. Julissa, you, I want to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, the, the only thing I add, I'll add about why this is uh, this is critically important too is because there are a lot of unincorporated areas in the Los Angeles area, right? So when you were brought up Andres Guardado, the reason it fell, it kind of also fell in this sort of like no man's land in terms of who would be responsible for creating accountability is because the area in Gardena where he was shot is an unincorporated area of Gardena. And so the supervisors uh, are really the people who ultimately become um, accountable for these things. And so to your point, it is um, it is incredibly important. And my vote went to Holly Mitchell. Okay. Um, we're gonna talk about LA County issues. Uh, I, I like, I've been paying attention to the, the comments um, those of you who have a problem with the term Latinx, I don't have a problem with it. I don't care. I, it doesn't bother me to um, identify people by how they want to be identified about how they they feel about themselves. My partner on my television show is a Cuban non-binary human being that considers themselves Latinx. So get out and meet some more people. I think it's important to respect other people and you don't have to hate on your group to get a pat on the head from by the people who hate us. Um, okay, so LA City Council, vote. Uh, so District 4, Nithya Rahman is running on a campaign that highlights ending homelessness, a Green New Deal for LA, municipal broadband, and making um, City Hall work for the people. She has pledged not to accept a dollar from develop developers, lobbyists, or fossil fuel companies. Um, and um, did you, did, did either of you, anybody wants to chime in on this one? Yeah, I, I've always thought that those sorts of pledges, I think, are incredibly important. You obviously have to watch people to make sure because we've had high profile politicians make pledges like that. And then, you know, once people weren't paying attention anymore, they go back on it. But um, but it, but it takes it, it. It's a strong stand to say that I'm not going to accept money from this, especially if you're talking about like in, in, in a place like L.A., like real estate developer money is such a significant um, part of funding for some of these politicians that it, it does say a lot in combination with a progressive policy platform to say that you're not going to take that sort of money. Okay. All right, so uh, LA USD Board of Education. Uh, very important, like this is why um, I, I've always talked about how important it is to, to vote locally as a mom. Um, the, the, the people who are driving the Board of Education that drive the funds, make sure that you have the proper books in the schools for your children. The people who are appropriating the funds that affect things like 
uh, PE being something that physical education that children do now in Los Angeles every other week. And it's based on their own teacher taking them out to do it. Um, you know, uh, but so I, 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 I just cannot stress enough how important. Now, Scott Schmerlson is in District 3 and Patricia Castellanos is in District 7. So um, if you're out there voting um, and, and you don't know who you need to vote for, please look up the people who are voting and pay attention to what they are saying that they represent and how that affects your, your children and your community and the children of your community. Um, LACCD Board of Trustees, Andrew Hoffman, David Vela, Mike Fong, and Michelle Henderson. Uh, I wanted to know any of it, out of these propositions and the issues that we've been talking about, are there any that stand out to you that you think are very important that you specifically want to say something about? Well, I wanted I wanted to say something about the judges, uh, and I know that you know judges' races can seem like super uh, boring and like difficult to do research on, uh, but judges, of course, are incredibly important, right? Because they're doing things like. Uh, setting bail for people, sentencing, uh, and and everything else that judges do. So they're really, really important. And in this case, every single one of the races is between someone who was a uh, was a former or is a deputy district attorney, and someone who's not. And so for me, it was very, very easy to choose between the two candidates uh, for the judges that I had to vote for because I do not want. Uh, someone who was cozied up with the police in the district attorney's office to then become a judge, right? Because then it's all part of the same sort of uh, pipeline. And so um, when you're voting, it will give you a title for each of the people. And so you'll see the title, um, uh, deputy district attorney, and then the other person. And so I voted for the other person who was not a, uh, a deputy district attorney. So that's what I wanted to say about, about the judge races. John? Um, on those particular, um, yeah, it, it's so difficult, obviously, for most people, like, like we're, you know, tapped into media and all that for regular people, it's super hard um, to follow along some of these races, but it doesn't make it any less important. And and thankfully, for a lot of areas, they're very good uh, voter guides that are put together sometimes by the parties. But if you're, you know, if you're a leftist or something like that, there are organizations that will put together uh, voter guides that can give you um, a leg up in, in knowing, you know, where to where to turn out in some of those races. Yeah. D. Morgan makes a great comment. It's important that those on school boards understand and believe that the school to prison pipeline is real and actively work to dismantle those in their districts. Um, the Proposition 14 I wanted uh, to bring up is uh, would raise, uh, would issue $5.5 billion in funding to the California Institute for Regenerative, Regenerative Medicine based in Oakland, created in 2004 voter-approved measure to support scientific research toward finding treatments and deeper understanding of diseases such as Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer, and strokes. Since there um, is no, no longer a ban on federal funding for stem cell research, and even those, the Institute is funded with public money, I does not have any legislative oversight. So I will vote no on 14, but I wanted to ask you what you thought about it. 
Yeah, this isn't one of the ones that I had a super strong, you know, feeling for. And it's also, I, I think, a great example of how these ballot initiatives, if, if you're just showing up on Election Day, you don't know anything about them, you read what it's about, you, you see, you hear, um, you know, it's money for research. And we're in a time where people are thinking about public health, more money for research, research seems good. But the fact that it's quite a bit of money, it's like $8 billion or something like that, um, there's... Uh, there's no assurance that the profits that are generated by any products that come as a result of the research, that any money of that will be returned to the taxpayers. There's no assurance, and this gets to the lack of legislative oversight you were talking about, there's no assurance that um, any of the medicines or treatments or anything like that that come from the research will be made available at an affordable um, rate. It's it, it seems like hypothetically the, the funding would be good, but it needs protections to assure that the taxpayers actually get what they're paying for. And it doesn't seem like this has that. OK, um, Proposition 15 is a so-called split role initiative would be a partial but major reversal of Proposition 13, which allows homeowners and commercial real estate owners to pay property taxes based on the value of the property that they own when they bought it rather than on the current market value. If you are a homeowner, nothing about this measure will change your situation. But for some com commercial and industrial real estate property owners, Prop 15 will change the rules so that property taxes will be based on current market values um, with assessments happening every three years beginning in 2022. This, that means a likely jump in taxes and thus more revenue for local governments and school districts. Do you say yes? I, I think this is a pretty clear one. This is one of the few that Bernie Sanders himself has weighed in on, saying that, that he, he would encourage his supporters um, to support it. It's, it's hypothetically a significant amount of money for local governments. And there is, obviously, throughout California, um, there's budgetary crises that are only going to get worse considering some of the crises that the state is facing. Um, there's been an attempt by the opponents of this, which, by the way, if, if uh, even more so than some of the races, you have to look at who's funding uh, the campaigns around these ballot initiatives. The primary donors are Business Roundtable, Business Properties Association PAC, those sorts of things. Um, the vast majority of the revenue is going to come from the, the largest um, uh, property owners. There, there was this attempt to make people think that this is going to hurt small businesses and things like that, but that's just not the way that the ballot initiative um, is created. So it seems like there's a potentially huge upside to this. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree with with what John said. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing that I wanted to point out uh, on this and really on all measures is for people to be careful with some of the pam pamphlets that they're receiving. Uh, because sometimes, you know, we've all gotten like a bunch of pamphlets in our mail, and some of them have been fake. And some of them have endorsements that are not real. And particularly on this Proposition 15, there was, um, there were some pamphlets that were that were alluding to homeowners having to pay more property taxes, which which is you said, Ida, that's not true. Prop, uh, homeowners are not affected by this proposition. And so it's just important to, uh, when you get those pamphlets, uh, that you kind of double check them, like actually go on the internet and try to find some reliable sources, some of those voter guys that, that John had said, because I received one on Proposition 15 that I knew it was, uh, that I knew it was fake. Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. They've been manipulating um, the language. Uh, you heard Donald Trump do it yesterday with how the minimum wage would affect small businesses. And I think that that's a lot of times they gaslight each other with each other. <laughs> so when they use 
um, you know, an example of the people who are afraid right now because they're in the middle of struggle. We're in the middle of this pandemic. People are uh, financially, you know, they're economically hurting. They're worried about their health. Healthcare is a shit show in this country. And then you have people who are always stoking their fears with language that emotionally moves them. So when we talk about these propositions um, and when we talk about this stuff where even Joe Biden said there is no there, there is no nothing documented anywhere where raising the minimum wage will affect small businesses. I, we have to learn that when they say these things that we you, you have to be aware of who's funding the campaign who's pushing, um, who's behind it. You need to read and you need to investigate and you need to study and do research because sometimes what they're doing is moving you to vote in your worst interest. And as you saw, if you see something, my grandmother died of cancer. So I see people doing research for cancer. I emotionally feel a certain way, but in reality, knowing that those funds are not being directed by someone that it's not being guided and that it is not being regulated, my grandmother would probably never get a benefit from those funds. So understanding that will help me to make a better decision about it. Uh, Proposition 16, women and racial minorities, especially Blacks and Latinos, have consist consistently been paid less and had less access to higher education than their white male counterparts. Proposition 16 is a crucial step to leveling the playing field. If passed, it would remove Proposition 209 from the state constitution, once again, allowing public institutions to consider factors such as race and sex in education or employment if they so choose. A university would be allowed to accept or reject an applicant solely based of their race but could consider race as a factor in a holistic review of the applicant's background, qualifications, and life experiences. And here is where my definition of being an ally comes in. It's when you're willing to lay down your privilege to create equity and equality for people of color, Black people in this country. Um, I wanted to ask you about this one. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i really excited about this proposition and uh, and glad that it's on the ballot uh, because we have to remember the proposition, which right now I'm blanking out on the number, but that you mentioned would basically replace us from the Constitution. That proposition passed in 1996. And I just want to remind people just historically where we were around that time. It was around 1994, 1995, 6 and 7, where a slew of really uh, racist propositions sort of uh, took over California. That's around the time when Prop 187 uh, was passed. That's around the time where bilingual education was banned uh, in, in California. And it's been in the recent years. So in the last election, we voted for bilingual education to come back to California. And now we're voting for uh, affirmative action to come back to California. And so I am really, really happy that, you know, not happy that it took 20 plus years for uh, for things to be reversed again. And that's why these propositions are so important because they can literally impact our communities for decades and decades and decades. So it's been decades since uh, California has been able to uh, to take into account race and gender uh, and, and sex because uh, because of this of this really racist propositions that took over in the mid 1990s. And so I'm excited to see that California, that this is back on the ballot. And I, and I really, really hope that this uh, this measure passes. 
Yeah, this, this should be an incredibly easy one. Um, California is one of only very small handful of handfuls of states that have this sort of ban on the books right now. Um, I think this is an easy one to support. Um, I wanted to skip over to uh, 20 and 21. Uh, no, 21 and 22, because um, these are very confusing to some people. And a lot of people have reached out to me. Um, I actually... Um, participated in a campaign for Proposition 21. I was homeless and I um, I like to give a face and a name to homeless people because we don't see them as human beings a lot of times. We look past them, we look through them and we don't look at them and realize that a lot of those people are our veterans, are our people who are struggling with mental health issues, a lot of our children who have been displaced from the foster care system. These are We gotta start giving these people a name and a face uh, as homelessness in Los Angeles County alone jumped 13% in the past year before the pandemic, we need to protect tenants from eviction and potential homelessness. Proposition 21 would allow cities to apply new stricter rent control measures if they choose, but only on buildings that are at least 15 years old. Six single family homes would be exempt as long as owners don't own more than two properties. And when new tenants move into new rent control property, landlords wouldn't be allowed to raise rents more than 15% over three years. Rent control is the only mechanism to stop greedy landlords from hiking housing prices, especially during an economic downturn like the one we are experiencing during the pandemic. Um, so there are there and and listen, people use this to defend veterans. They'll say, vote no on Proposition 21 if you care about veterans. And that's why I'm telling you, there are a lot of veterans who are homeless and um, are not getting any of the help that they should be getting after providing service for this country. Um, this is one of uh, you you said that a lot of people had asked you about this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So th this is definitely one of just a couple in California that I think have been made sort of um, in the way they're written. They seem a little bit confusing. And the way they've been advertised around is 100 percent confusing. This is one of like two or three. There's three really that have had a lot of commercials. And if you just watch those commercials, you're going to believe insane things about what this debate is about. But if you follow the principle of just looking at who's contributing to yes and who's contributing to no, it's not that hard to understand this. Three of the top 10 property owners in Silicon Valley have contributed over $10 million to opposition to this. Prometheus Real Estate Group, Essex Property Trust, Equity Residential. It is the massive owners of property that don't want this uh, to pass. And that really tells you a lot about who it's going to benefit and who it's going to hurt. Lisa, did you want to chime in? No, I mean, I, I think um, I agree with everything you're saying. I think the only thing that it brought up for me also was uh, back on Proposition 19, um, because that one was that I was really confused about for some of the same kind of factors that we're talking about on Proposition 21. And Proposition 19 um, is very convoluted. So even if I try to explain it to you right now, it would take me like five minutes just to lay out what the proposition even is. But one of the one of the parts of the proposition that is really drawing at people's hearts is the part about uh, people who have lost home in wildfires, and that if they lose a home in wildfires, that they should be able to um, 
if they buy a new home somewhere else, they should be able to take their tax um, their tax uh, rate to their new home. And so that part is making a lot of people want to vote uh, want to vote vote for this proposition. But there's a lot of other things that um, are really messy. And this is a proposition that was on the ballot the last election, and it failed. And because it failed, now they're trying to add some sweeteners to it to Proposition 19. Um, and uh, you know, I think that the the one takeaway that, that I keep hearing John say that I really agree with is to see who's funding these things, right? So for Proposition 19 is the Realtors Association who is funding it. Um, and so that's one that I just wanted to 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 highlight because that's the one that I had been uh, messaging you about, Ida, yeah. that I was really confused and I was like, I don't know how to vote for this. And so I, I and so because because my heart was being pulled about, you know, the, the wildfire uh, victims and and I, and I was about to, to vote yes for it. And then I started looking more into it um, and ultimately voted no on it. Mm-hmm. Um, 22, which we've seen a lot of commercials on. Oh my God. Yeah, they have, and they really, and they, and and did you notice they put all the minorities, like, it's like, because minorities can only be, you know, flight attendants, uh, Uber drivers, only be, you know, the baggage claim people. We we can't be lawyers and doctors. So they, 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 that, that's what they go for. But Proposition 22 would classify drivers for Uber, Lyft, and other app-based companies as independent contractors. It would also enact several new labor policies specifically for app-based companies by guaranteeing an hourly wage and some benefits. The Yes campaign with major contributions from Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash has raised more than $180 million. The mostly um, non-union-backed no campaign has raised about $5 million. Prop 2 doesn't give drivers sick leave, unemployment, benefits, or workmen's compensation, and lets Uber, Lyft, and other companies get away with not paying into Social Security or Medicare. So earlier this month, Uber sent a series of push notifications and in-app messages to drivers and riders urging them to vote yes on 22. Now a group of drivers have filed a lawsuit seeking class action status against the company, accusing it of breaking the law with those app blasts and calling them unlawfully coercive and threatening. Through their lawyer, the drivers bringing the suit said the barrage of corporate propaganda left them feeling like they had no choice but to vote yes. And I, I'm going to vote no on this. But you think yeah. commercial. Yeah, the the so a couple of things I wanted to say about this. One is, uh, you know, one of the arguments that people are making for voting yes on on Proposition Twenty Two is to say that drivers should have the option. Maybe some drivers don't want to be employees because they want they like the flexible hours, etc. But here is the thing. When you are being coerced, like uh, like that lawsuit, uh, like that lawsuit says, uh, you don't really have much of a choice, right? And and secondly, Uber can choose to give employees flexible hours so that every driver uh, can still have the flexibility in their schedule because ultimately it's about supply and demand, and the demand is going to be there during during uh, you know when people get off work, when people well before COVID, when people were uh, going home from going out, and so and so that to me is a is a null argument. Uh, it's a null argument. But the biggest thing for this proposition that I just want to impart is that corporations corporations should not be writing laws. 
That is the number one thing about this uh, about this proposition. Corporations have no business writing the laws for the people of this country, and that is what's happening with Proposition 22. Uber um, and Lyft and and other uh, other app services like that. Uh, just to give you a really quick example, in Austin, Texas. The, uh, the city of Austin wanted Uber to fingerprint their drivers as a safety measure. And Uber didn't want to do it because they didn't want to spend the extra money uh, doing that. And so then they spent a shitload of money uh, lobbying uh, against this law. Ultimately, uh, Uber was kicked out of Austin, Texas for a while. And then Uber said, screw you, Austin, and went to the state and so then they lobbied at the state level where they were able to pass a law that benefited them and, 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 and by doing so bypassing the city of Austin. And so the biggest thing is that corporations should not have a hand in writing laws. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think this is above all of the other props. I mean, the di dialysis one is pretty clear, but when you just look at who's who's putting the money and you know everything you need to know about this entire thing, I'm really worried about this one in particular because those ads are so pervasive and manipulative, and the people they choose to put out there, um, it's just so dishonest. And they're they're putting pressure on their own uh, drivers. They're putting pressure on their drivers to try to convince the people that they're picking up. Um, to, to support this and all of it designed to give them carve outs from the sorts of state laws that every, every other employer has to abide by. And I don't know how much money it's worth to them, but if they can put together $187 million uh, for this, uh, I can speculate that it's worth a lot of money. I saw um, the coalition to pass this is now the most expensive California ballot measure since 1992. And this is a state where we love massive, expensive ballot measure campaigns. This is you got to go back decades to, to to see something on the on the scale of this, and it's worth so much money to those drivers um, that this goes the right way. Uh, but I am but I am very worried about this one because of how well funded um, the campaign is. Yeah, yes, yeah, I saw that comment about where have the no on twenty two ads been? Well, the no, the no has been funded by mostly unions, right? And so there have been some small ads, but they don't have the you know hundreds of millions of dollars that Uber has, which is why you're seeing so many more vote yes on Proposition twenty two ads. And so, like John, I am very worried because I think that. Um, the way that they are advertising for for yes on it is um, is very uh, sleek, very it's very it's very wrong the way that they're doing this right they have like a mom talking about kids how she likes the flexibility and so I'm worried about it but I I do hope that people are, are taking the time to really look into what what it means and um, I hope it doesn't pass. Well, I, I, uh, I know there's so many of them um, and we can't do them all today, but I want to continue to provide people support. Someone just uh, posted a few minutes ago, you guys should do this for Florida. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I'm like, I wish we could do it. And uh, and my goal is uh, with Julissa and, Long and, and some other brilliant minds is to put, to put together a handbook. Um, so that in two years when we go back to vote again, that we can have something that we can give people and circulate um, so that people will have um, some some sort of guide um, on it. But first of all, Lyft driver, uh, Cisco Kid XXX said, as a Lyft driver, I, I appreciate your support. Um, you know, in this moment, specifically where essential workers have had to step up 
and be the superheroes of our day. Um, when those of you say, what do we do with our votes? Why does voting matter? Um, sometimes when you vote, as Julissa said, if you don't want to vote for president and that's what you feel, but if you vote on these, you are affecting the people in your community who show up for you in these moments. And I think it is important for us to remember those things because we are so, um, you know, we're so self-centered. I, I, uh, I respect everyone's opinion and everyone, um, so long as it comes from a place of humanity and decency, you can care to think whatever you want. Um, but I just think it's important for us to help those that um, can't help. Uh, I'm gonna keep telling people to vote and I'm gonna tell you to show up and help the elderly in your community. Some people need your help. Some people need translators. Even if it's in Spanish, it doesn't mean they understand. Um, they don't have a comprehensive view of what these things mean. So please use your, your privilege, your information to help our elderly, help those who need help. There are some people with mental illness that vote and may not necessarily have the best focus. Um, they could be on the spectrum, whatever it is, they might need some assistance. And I think it's important for us to show up for, for people who are going to be voting. Yeah. Can I just, because um, you just you just mentioned the people being on the spectrum. Um, I have a special needs nephew and I'm, I might cry saying this, but um, in the last election, he didn't get to vote because he, he lives in Texas and um, they kept telling him that there was something wrong with his registration and his ID, even though like we had done everything to make sure that he voted. Um, and so he didn't get to vote and he was really upset about it. And uh, my sister just sent me a picture this morning with his I voted sticker. And it's the first time he's voting and it's just so special to me because he is someone that special needs, but just because he's special needs doesn't mean that he doesn't have the same rights as everyone else. And, um, and so he was, he was just like super, super excited that he got to vote today. Oh, and I, we're excited for him because that's what that's what this um, this is all about, right? This is what it's about. It's not just for a select few; it's for all of us, and that's what we're supposed to be demanding. Um, John, when um, can people see the damage report? Uh, damage report is every weekday at ten p.m. Pacific, uh, one. Uh, sorry, ten a.m. Pacific, one p.m. Um, uh, Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Okay. And you, you have a faithful following. They are like, they are like, uh, here. Um, Julissa Ozal 84 says, I like Julissa's background. It looks cinematic. It's, it's Mexico, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you have um, several things going on, but you have a book that's, uh, coming out, right? Yeah. My, um, my next book comes out next year, but, um, but the thing that I encourage people to watch is my noticias on Fridays where I do, um, I share one or two stories uh, of uh, stories that are affecting Latinos that aren't getting national coverage. Uh, this week, we're talking about uh, the violence that food vendors have experienced and some of the specific cases of things that happened this summer. Thank you. I appreciate it. You should watch it. And I will continue to say this. Um, you know, we show up every day and we show up for ourselves and we show up for each other because that's what um, being a, a real American is supposed to be. And I think that we've we're, we've lost our way with so many things, but I think it's important to visit the outlets of the people who are providing you with the information that's in your best interest. And um, and I think that, you know, that if you look at independent media 
Um, if you look at these independent res uh, sources of people who are trying to give you the information that really helps you, then you won't, you will feel, you will feel the difference in your life because you will feel that you have information. Um, I would like to come back uh, next week and uh, we will be talking about some of the other propositions and whatever questions you may have that I may, if I don't know, I can ask someone who does know, but I do want to make sure that we are of assistance to the communities who are impacted most by the oppression in this country. And so um, I'm not a, a Biden uh, puppet, neither am I a Trump puppet. I'm, a, I'm here for the people and I will continue to be. So thank you, John. Thank you, Julissa. I really love you too. And I appreciate you being here. And I appreciate all of you showing up and being here for us as well. And we will see you next week. Thank you, Ida. Bye.